Well, good morning and welcome to yet another Automotive Hour. If you're listening in live, give us a call. And if you're listening on the podcast, hey. Try to. Give us a call next week. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the number's 291-6901. And, of course, you drop the area code in front of that, which here is 225. You mm-hmm. can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. And should you happen to know the world code, which I'm going to give you right now, That's is right. 01. That's right. You can reach us from anywhere in the world. There you go. And we sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from people from wherever and from Baton Rouge or wherever you may be. And we are on Central Daylight Savings Time right Central now. Daylight so. Time. That's right. So we got to adjust for that if you happen to be calling in from, from Europe or area. Italy or <laughs> Spain or whatever. Japan. It doesn't matter. There you go. You just give us a call. 291-6901. Get you right to us and we'll put you right up at the top of the list. And we wish you would. We were talking just a little bit before the show and we of course always looking for topics to uh-huh. discuss during the program and you don't want to discuss the same thing over and over and over and over again and there are so many topics that you can discuss on a car and then you right. start to repeat things and you don't want to be where you bore people to death but one thing occurred to me that we have not spoken about that i get a lot of email about okay and that is brake service right and i intentionally do not use the word brake job because I hate that word. I do, too. I really, really hate the word brake job. It's an obsolete term. There is no such thing as a brake job. No, there's, there's not. not. Every situation is unique. That's right. There's no one thing that you're going to do to fix or repair or restore the brakes on this car to operating condition. It's not like a used to be, well, we're going to throw a set of pad, grind the rotors down, da, 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 da. Okay, well, that's great. But that's like 40 years ago. Right. And it's not today. One car is going to need maybe front pads only. The next car is going to need pads, rotors. Maybe a hose. A hose. The next one may need a brake caliper. It may just need the caliper slides freed up and nothing else. Right. That happens quite a bit. That's right. It may have leaking cylinders. It may have binding parking brake cables. Right. On and on and on and on. And to try to condense that down to one word, one sir, yeah, I one. think is very, very misleading for sure it's misleading at very least but what it does it tends to a one-size-fits-all solution that is not a solution to anything correct it's kind of like my buddy harvey you say it's like a fishing ski boat <laughs> <laughs> it's not any good for either one exactly yeah. there's fishing boats and there's skiing boats okay right. <laughs> but when you hear that type of term likely the place that's doing the job is not going to be the place that you want to go to get your car really fixed right mm-hmm. what you want is someone who is going to examine the problem and then come up with a solution that is right for you. And that's why you're going to a professional mechanic. Correct. Because he is going to give you the absolute best job at the lowest possible price. Otherwise, you could just go in and throw a bunch of stuff on it yourself. You really train monkeys to sit there and just put a certain number of parts on. Right. What you need is someone who can diagnose the braking system, which is no less important than diagnosing a check engine light or diagnosing anything else. Which brings me to my first point, and that is people tend to think that brakes are extremely simple. Right, and they're not. They're really not. And everything is simple to a guy who doesn't understand what's going on. Sure. You know, world politics is simple to a guy who's looking at from the outside <laughs> until you get in there and try to make some changes. And it's the same thing with brakes. They are deceptively simple. They look simple, but they're not. There's just an infinite number of things, and if you think that they're really, really easy, 
it's because you just don't know enough about it. Don't understand it. enough, right? <laughs> I've been doing it for 46 years, and I'm still learning. Oh, yeah. They and change all the time. They're changing constantly. There are a million little nuances. And generally, when we get a car in that someone has been working on, they have spent an inordinate amount of money. Changed they have probably made the situation way worse, and now they can't figure out what's wrong. They bring it to you. All right. So let's just start out with a basic brake service, which is where, let's say you're driving along, you apply the brakes, and you hear a squealing or a grind. You hear some kind of a noise, okay. which is normally the first indication that you have a problem. Now, clearly you could go by time, and you don't have to wait till you get a noise. Time is not really a great factor. I, well, don't, I don't like time as much as I like mileage. Time and even miles are not accurate when it comes to brakes because if I get in my car and I drive coast to coast, Okay, when I leave Baton Rouge, I hit the brakes one time when I hit the interstate, and I hit them again when I got to Los Angeles. Okay. <laughs> so I ran up 3,000 3, miles and didn't stop twice. Sure. Now, you take a lady who is in town running a carpool, going grocery shopping, doing stop-and-go traffic all day long. She she's, may only put 3,000 miles on it, but she's probably stopped 5,000 times. Correct. So... There is no formula, at, like some things, like for instance, we could say a timing belt is seven years or 100,000 miles, and that's pretty accurate. With brakes, it doesn't work that way because it depends on the amount of times and also how hard you have broke how the How the vehicle's driving. Right. Driven. If, if you're driving in the mountains, you can oh, wear you your brakes a lot faster because sure. of the heat. If you're driving in stop-and-go traffic, it's not unusual for a person 100% stop-and-go traffic, particularly if they're a little hard on brakes, to wear a set of brakes out in 20,000 miles. Mm -hmm. And often, the rotors themselves will be damaged in that mileage. Now, a person, let's say a salesman who's on the road all day long, it's not unusual for him to get 80,000, 90,000 miles, even more on some vehicles. Another factor is the design of the original brakes. For instance, the Chevrolet trucks back in the... Oh, 2002 to 2007 era when they right. had the four-wheel disc and they were using ceramic pads, those would routinely go 150,000 miles on the front pads. Sure. Now, they just lasted that long. They were just a heavy, heavy design and had a really good pad. And unless you were just mean, yeah, yeah if you were hell on wheels, your brakes will probably last you 150,000 miles on the front, yeah, we probably would, 100, 110 on the rear. We would check those trucks all the time at that kind of mileage, and they not they didn't need any brakes yet. Well, that's you know, right. The service and wasn't due yet. My 2002 model that I've got still has the original brakes on it. Uh -huh. I've never had to do them. But, again, I'm pretty easy on braking. And, it's and a you're good, doing a lot of highway miles. And I do a lot of highway miles. It's a good design of vehicle. It just has a good design. Other vehicles tend to wear brakes a lot faster. Sure. And it could be the size of the pads that were on there. It could be the, the type of the rotors. pad. Of course, driving style, miles, all these things come in. So the point we're getting to is that it's going to require an inspection of some type to determine mm -hmm. where you are. That's one reason we always push the general inspection once a year. Correct. You come in once a year, we're going to look at the brakes. We're going to say you have six millimeters remaining. That should last at the rate you're going another year mm -hmm. or that at the rate you're going to last two more years or hey you better get them changed it's not gonna last but six months based on how many miles you got on the last set which is pretty much relates to the way you drive right and how many miles you got on and how much is remaining we can sort of predict about how long as long as the vehicle is driven in the same continues manner. to be operated in the same manner now, now if, if you, you take that vehicle and give it to your teenage son or <laughs> 
You I put it on you. the highway where it wasn't in town car. That's right. Things are going to change. All but, those are going to change. Right. You got to have that knowledge consistency and, and when knowledge you go in. when you apply it. So the point is, it's going to start out with an inspection of some sort. Whether you inspect before you have a problem or whether you wait to hear noise, either way, it's going to start out with some sort of inspection. Right. And now, even before the inspection. You mentioned noise and brakes. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, a little brake noise is going to be normal. Yeah, I mean, it's just the way, the way that the system is designed, the job it's doing. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, it will make a noise. Right. Now, if it's consistently making a noise, then it's, a problem. Then it's going to be a problem. Right. We see that a lot. Customer will bring a car in. Hey, it made a squeak last week. I want them checked. I heard a squeak one time, and you look at them, the brakes are fine, and it's why they squeak. Well, because the brakes because do that. That's their job. That's You're what, trying well, to stop three to 5,000 pounds of weight with some little round rotors that are turning and some pads being crushed into it. There's a lot of stuff happening there. Correct. And particularly if you were in stop-and-go traffic, the pads got really hot. I know on my car, the last set of pads I put on, for whatever reason, when they would get hot, they would start growling. I right. mean, they would make, you would they would think make they noise. were metal on metal. So I had them swapped out, and I put a ceramic pad back on it, which eliminated the noise. But it's just that particular pad did that, and it wasn't a problem except that it annoyed me. Correct. But it was consistent. Every time the brakes got hot, you would hear that growling noise, and it annoyed me enough to where I went ahead and replaced the pads and mm-hmm. got rid of that problem. But the first part of any brake service. Well, the first part is going to be getting the complaint from the customer. Right. What is the car doing? Right. I need to know what it's doing so when I get done with my diagnosis, right. I can ensure you that I'm going to fix that address problem. Address that problem. Now, if you're doing it yourself, then just collect your thoughts and realize, okay, I've had this problem, this problem, and this problem. Even write it down. Yeah. It would, I find if hurt. you write it down. Right. You, you won't forget. Exactly. You won't forget a step and or something. And when you get in, what you're looking for are things that caused the this symptoms. Problem. That way you're sure you get everything covered. Correct. For instance, let's say you've got a shutter in your steering wheel when you're stopping kind of hard from 45 miles an hour. When you go in with your inspection, you can't stop checking until you find, number one, what caused this, why is this doing this, and even more to the point, why did this occur? Because brake shutter is always a symptom of a problem. Correct. And we're going to cover that when we get back. We've got to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. Travel my way. I'm here with David, actual Agco Automotive customer and owner of a 98 Suburban with 434,000 miles on it. And counting. That's amazing. How did you do that? Well, as an airline pilot, I know the importance of regular maintenance schedules. That and having a great team of mechanics, just like the guys at Agco. So Agco has helped keep your car running? All of my cars. Wow. So, folks, if you're looking to keep your late model vehicle on the road longer, take it to AGCO once a year for a general inspection. That way, the AGCO team can catch any potential problems early before they become expensive repairs down the road. Yeah, David, I've done a little piloting myself. Really? Well, it was one of those radio-controlled planes you fly off of Burbank, (laughs) but I could feel the power. (laughs) Oh, I bet you could. That's really close to a 747. I know, right? So, folks, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, we sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. We're talking about brake service and 
how to solve some of those brake problems you got, but we'll talk about any topic you might have, whatever's bugging you. You give us a call, 291-6901. We'll get you up to the top of the list. And, you know, we were mentioning causes of brake shutter before right. we went to a break. Mm-hmm. And there's several things that go into why a rotor warps. That's right. Some of it could be that the way the car is driven. You mm-hmm. know, it's just driven hard, and the brakes tend to build up a lot of heat, which warps rotors. That's right. Could be designed. You know, I've, we've there seen that a lot. vehicles that are just poorly designed. The Ford truck comes to mind with me, and I know they've redesigned that four or five times, but uh-huh. the, the later model Ford trucks have a brake shutter problem. You can put new rotors. You can do what you want. It will go away for a while. But it will come back. It's likely going to come back. And what it is, when you design a product, you have to anticipate the way it's going to be used. Correct. Now, you can say, well, you need to not do that. Don't do that. Do this. But that, <laughs> People being the way people yeah, are. They can... 75% of the people are going to drive a certain way. You have to build the design robust enough to tolerate the way people are going to drive. Sure. If you don't, you're going to get what they got, which is a whole bunch of trucks with shake in, in the front end. Mm-hmm. And rotors warp, but they don't always warp in like a side-to-side lateral type run out. Which is what you would kind of think is warpage. That's right. What is more important is what they call parallelism between the two faces. Right. You've got two surfaces there with a webbing in between them. Right. And what happens is, let's say you get a warp spot, which is going to be a high spot on one face. Right. Well, when the same spot gets on the second face, right. then it's out of parallel. Right. Which, That's when the severe shaking is going to right. come in. Now, if it's got lateral run out, let's say it's wobbling side to side four thousandths of an inch. Mm-hmm. You're not really going to feel that. You can put a brand-new rotor on. That's a defect, and we've seen that lots of times. Sure. It's got 4,000 run out in it. You will not feel that. But when it starts to contact those pads, two points opposite each other are contact harder than the rest. That is going to wear those rotors out of parallel, and then you're going to start feeling the shaking. Right, because what it's doing is as that high spot comes around, it pushes the caliper pistons right. back. And when the low spot comes around, they they go they back, extend they go out. in. So now they're extended already when the high spot comes back around, so they're really wearing that spot and not hitting the other. Right, and what that goes into is you feel it in the brake pedal because the, the piston is pushing the fluid back and forth into the master cylinder, right. which is directly connected to well, the brake pedal. Well, and if your foot is on that brake pedal where it can't do that, it's just going to wobble whatever it can wobble, which, which is going to be the tie be rods and the ball joints and everything in the front the end. Front it's going to start shaking. So the point is that problem was there from the beginning. That was a defective rotor. It didn't show up right. It may take six months, depending on how you drive. Sure. But it's going to come in because it was not a true rotor to start with. So then once it gets out of parallel, that's when you're going to start feeling the symptom of it. Let's go to our phone line with Dale. Good morning, Dale. Good morning, Lewis. How you and Brian doing? Doing great, doing sir. Doing great. Spring morning. There's a quick question for you regarding the brake. If you have a bit of play in your wheel bearing, mm-hmm. will that cause a brake shutter? Can it cause a brake shutter? I mean, generally, kind of, kind of like a, like more of a pulsing or whatever. Yeah, generally it won't, Dale, because what's going to happen, it's going to cause all the problems. It's not a good thing, don't get me wrong, but what's yep. going to happen is the weight of the wheel is going to cause it to push to the outside, and it's going to ride on two spots on the bearing, but it's not going to really wobble. Now, that being said, if you've got a warpage in the rotors and you got some slack in the wheel bearings, you're probably going to feel it more because there's nothing to stop it. Okay. So it could All make right. the situation worse, but really I don't think it would cause the situation. I mean, of I course, mean, you could take anything to an extreme. You know, it's got a half yeah, inch exactly. of slack, yeah. Right. But the normal me, slack you would see would probably not cause the shutter. It would just make the shutter worse. Okay. Well, another quick question mm-hmm. in regards to that. Mm-hmm. Since I do have some slop in this bearing, I need to replace that hub assembly. When I, It's a Ram 1500 of 2003. Yes, sir. And when I replace this hub, 
is, I mean, because looking at the way it's mounted, you've got a three-bolt mounted all solid. That's correct. Uh -huh. Would that be, and it's all back to frame parts, would that be something that would require an alignment afterwards? No, no sir. sir. I didn't, I didn't think no, it would. I no, as long as you're going back. Because no, that, that's a machine surface. Right, it's a machine yeah. surface. It's going to be accurate enough where it's not going to affect the alignment. So you're not changing. When you take the bearing off, you're moving the wheel. Let's say it was an eighth inch thicker than the old one. It would move the wheel out an eighth of an inch, but it would not yeah. affect the steering arm, which is where your tie that, rod is that, at. That, all that's that hooked to the knuckle itself. Now, all yeah. that being said, if the alignment was adjusted before that, with the, with slack, the, bearing. With the slack in the bearing, then yes, I would have it checked. Yeah, right. Yeah, a, if somebody... Right. Just carelessly yeah. align the front end with slack in the bearing. Then yeah. when you take the slack out, it could change it. But, no, if, if the bearing was good when the last line was done, it would be good when you're finished. No, I've been driving this thing. i put probably 150,000 miles on it, and the alignment's never had to have been touched. That's great. It's yeah, that's great. amazing. That's, well, that's what we find. And most of the time when you see people having to constantly keep relining the cars because they're not being aligned right the first time. They're yeah. just not getting aligned. Exactly. So, Willis, I appreciate the show. Y'all have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy right, this beautiful weather. Thanks, Thank man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to part of the automotive hour. And we were talking about the, the brake shutter and stuff. Right. One thing that I have found, if the hub surface like Dale's talking about, let's say it's got some corrosion on that. Right. And you take the rotor off, and you don't index it back in the same exact spot. Or really, even if you do, you may cause that rotor to wobble very slightly. And, again, you remember that hub surface is probably only four inches in diameter. So if you're off a half a thousandth of an inch at four inches, by the time you get out 12 inches on the edge of that rotor, it's probably it's, wobbling six or seven thousandths. It's a good bit. Just because of the angle that's going out. Uh -huh. Now, again, it may not start shaking right then and there, but it's going to cause the rotor faces to wear out of parallel with each other, which will bring on the shake. And, you know, we see that a lot because the way the front end is made now, you've got a hub bearing like you were saying. Mm -hmm. And you've got a metal rotor that contacts it flat. Right. And when that when those two surfaces are new, they're machined. Right. Well, as time and water and everything yeah. gets in between corrosion. them, it creates rust and corrosion in there. And if you like you were saying, if you're not real careful when mm -hmm. you put it back on or you put a new one on, you have a bit of corrosion mm -hmm. built up. It's just the what design of the well of the system. Not only that, but if you go in with say an impact wrench and you run one of those lug nuts down good and tight and then you you can cause that little flange to warp. Sure. And then you can have a brake shutter for the rest of your life and once that flange has been warped because the rotor has to ride against the flange. That's why you're supposed to torque those lug nuts down. In a certain pattern. In a pattern. If it's, if it's a four-bolt, you go across from each other. If it's a five-bolt, you still go make across, but you make a star. Six-bolt, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. You always want to tighten one about a third of the way, the next one a third of the way, and go all the way around, then come back maybe to half, and then come back to full torque. Correct. Don't try to run it all the way down in one step, and don't try to run one down in a sequential manner. You want to do a cross pattern. You want to allow that thing to center up and seat down. And if you don't, you may end up in, Causing a introducing a problem that you didn't have before. Hey, let's go to the phone lines. Mike, good morning, Mike. Uh, I got one that you've probably heard of a hundred times. Okay. 2009, 2009 Nissan Altima 2.5 converter manifold issue. I bought the car. With the issue about a month ago, mm -hmm. uh, they did sell it to me in the dealership. They're telling me that it did have a converter problem. Okay. I've tried running 93 through it. You know, I hadn't got a full tank through it. I ran it down to a quarter. I put the Cadillac converter cleaner in it, which yeah, was not, a long shot. Yeah, pretty, pretty, much, anyway. yeah, pretty much wasting time <laughs> with all that. <laughs> so I wanted to know if I'm going to buy the part and see there's probably five or six manufacturers mm -hmm. that have some. I wanted to know which one. Without buying from the dealer. Don't do it. Um, well, then, then don't, you don't do it. Your money. 
Don't do it, Mike. If those aftermarket converters, number one, they're not going to work. They don't work very long. Some of them won't work even out of the box. But the problem is with that little engine, if that converter goes bad and a piece of that substrate bounces up into the valve, you're going to take the engine out. Yeah. Um, it is just not had. worth it. It's way cheaper to go to the dealer, buy the proper converter, put it on, put and it be, behind you, and move yeah, on. Exactly. Because I have taken probably 100 aftermarket converters off that were six months to a year old and the lights back on and the guy is so frustrated and he just threw his money away it's not gonna Man. work yeah just do you have any idea what they're getting for that uh that converter at Nissan these i days don't know you'd have to call them and see i'm not real sure probably pretty expensive six six seven hundred dollars or more i figured that and you can mm. buy them for about 300 bucks oh, yeah. let me ask you this mike have you ever gotten anything that was just as good that was <laughs> you know, uh, you know I, a couple of times. <laughs> Not me. I, yeah. I was trying to, you know, I don't know how long she's going to keep the cars for my 16-year-old, and you yeah. know how that is. And yeah, but it ain't going to work. I didn't pay but six grand for the car. Yeah, and I, you know, yeah I but all that's irrelevant. It's just where do you get? Where do you go from <laughs> right. here? You know? How do you know when you've got engine damage? I've got a very, very small oil leak on it, 127,000 miles, very small oil leak. Yeah. I didn't see it when I bought the car. Yeah, but, you know, eh, most likely not that. a big deal. could be a valve cover. could be an oil pan. I mean, you know, if it's a very small oil leak, it's not but hurting it's, anything. Look, it, it runs great. Yeah. I don't hear any issues in the right. motor. It has no hesitation. It doesn't right. sound like it's lacking any power. Yeah, if you're not, I just have that light on. Yeah, you're going to have light on until you get the converter fixed. But those are bad because, like I said, once that material in that cat starts going bad, it can break up. And when it does, it can bounce through that exhaust valve, jump in the cylinder, and then you're going to have major problems. Yeah, this. how do you know when you've got indication compression of any kind of Compression test? Mm-hmm. But, but you're not going to notice it? No, you'll notice it right off. You know, yeah. Chance or it hasn't occurred yet, but, uh, yeah, you okay. generally know it'll go to idling rough and all that kind of stuff, losing power. I don't have that issue, so you think I don't need to wait I, on this. I'm I would jump, this. I'm I jump on out of the ASAP. I mean, you got to do it. So there's right. really nothing to be gained by putting it off. You're taking more risk. And, you know, worst-case scenario. And it's not going to go down in cost. Worst-case scenario, if you something happens to the vehicle where it can't be driven anymore, you can always take and turn around and resell that cat. You probably could. You know, yeah. you, you could probably okay. coop some of your money up. Yeah, because they're pretty popular to go out. I mean, you I, know, I, but I, I would buy it from the dealer. I mean, the only reason I buy them from the dealer is because it's cheaper. Right. It is cheaper in the long run, man. Okay, so you're telling me that in, in no small terms, do no, not I wouldn't buy do it. an aftermarket. Converter. I wouldn't do it. Do you think that they've made some changes on the converter? No, they hadn't. No, they hadn't. Thank you. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> wow. I just saved you about $300 in about a half a weekend's work. Right there. <laughs> Three hundred for you for aftermarket one. <laughs> you believe in your experience that the secondary cat down the line is okay? It's always that front one on the manifold. Most of the time, the secondary one on most of those Altimas is not monitored. So even if it's bad, you won't know it. It's just a it's a California edition thing where it needs more than what the original one. Uh, but the front one is the one that's monitored. Yeah. Okay. All right, brother. Thanks right. a lot. Thanks, man. All right, man. Bye bye. Two nine one sixty nine zero one is go. the number. I tell you, boy, I just the older I get, the worse I get. <laughs> Let's go to the phone lines. Paul, good morning, Paul. Yeah, satisfied, long-time customer. My wife's got a 1998 Lincoln Town car uh-huh. with 113,000 miles. Okay. And just recently, well, when I filled the car up, it had 50 miles to empty, mm-hmm. but it only took 14 gallons of fuel. Okay. It's got a 19-gallon tank right, on it. Right, right. And after filling, the analog gauge shows full. Right. If it's the fuel-sending unit in the tank, is it desirable to replace the fuel pump at the same well, time? Well, most of the time on a Ford, you have to because they don't yeah. sell the sending unit separately. Some cars do, but generally on a Ford, 
you can you have to buy a pump assembly to get to okay. get the whole unit. Right. And that is also inside the gas tank, and you have to pull the gas tank out, I think, on that one mm-hmm. to change that assembly. Yeah. Paul, I'm going to have to put you on hold because we got a break that we're up against. But if you hold on, we'll get right back to you. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. I'm here with John, an actual Agco Automotive customer. I've been taking all of my cars to Lewis for a long time. I go in regularly for all changes, and if they notice anything else wrong, they let me know. It's just like going in for a checkup at the doctor. So you're saying the mechanics at Agco are like physicians? Car doctors. They don't ever miss a diagnosis. And I have three cars with over 100,000 miles on them. Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. They'll check it out and even let you know if it's best to invest in repairs or possibly look for another vehicle. Yep, regular maintenance with Agco keeps my cars running fine. And regular checkups at the doctor keeps this old 80-year-old in good shape, too. You're 80? John, I hope I look that good when I'm your age. Well, son, I think it's kind of late for that. Oh, I see your wit's pretty sharp, too. So, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, we were talking about brakes, but we'll take a question on any topic you might have. Just before the break, we were talking to Paul, and Paul's got some problems with his gas center unit. Paul, was there anything else on that? No, it's just when you fill the tank, mm-hmm. it goes up. It shows the right. total the increases of miles like 387 Correct. left to go, and now that you have a full tank. Right. It's off on but one end I, of the range. The low end of the range is off. Pardon? The low end of the range is off. And there's just like a rheostat that goes up and down. And if it's got a bad spot in it, the upper end could work fine. The lower end may not. For instance, when it drops down, let's say it's got a little break in the rheostat. When it drops past a certain point, be that a quarter tank or half tank or whatever, it's going to assume the tank is near empty because it's not getting the right resistance back from the tank. So it's just a defect or a bad cinder unit. But to answer your question, I don't think most Fords do not sell the cinder unit separately. I mean, you could call a Ford dealer and ask. It's possible this one does, but most do not. Most of them you have to buy the pump assembly. Well, and, okay, and, and that, that way kind of I wouldn't have to worry. Well, if you've got 100-something thousand miles, I mean, pumps don't last forever. You're already right. paying the labor to do it. Yeah, you might want to change the whole assembly anyway. Yeah, that way I'll probably never have any more trouble That's out right. of it. Till, That's right. To get ready to get rid of it. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just call Elaine and make an appointment to uh, to bring it in. Sure, sounds great. Okay, thank you. All right, Paul, thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour. And let's see, we have got Barry online. Good morning, Barry. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. Right. I just have a quick question. You I bet. just bought a brand-new F-350 diesel, and mm-hmm. I'm talking to all these guys, wondering if I should start or start it off on synthetic oil with my first oil change. We're pulling big, heavy horse trailers. Yeah, that takes a special oil. I don't remember what viscosity. It's a weird viscosity is what Ford recommends on it. And I remember when the first one came into the shop, I started looking around for this oil, and I called four Ford dealers, and none of them had it. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. How are you servicing? Oh, we're putting da-da-da-da-da in them. I said, man, that's not what's recommended. Yeah, I know, but that costs too much. I said, well, that's not your decision to make. <laughs> you know, the really? engineer said it takes this oil, and you're, I mean, we're talking, what, a $65,000 truck or more? Oh, more. Yeah, maybe more than that. 50 dually. Yeah. It's thickered for 71000 Yeah, 71 grand. Yeah. So, I mean, do you really want to put the wrong oil in it? That's kind of crazy. But, yeah, I think those basically require a synthetic or at least a synthetic blend 
we put the motorcraft oil that is called for in them, and I've had good luck with that. I mean, that's an extremely expensive engine. All changes just don't cost that much. I am real big on using the best oil I can possibly get, particularly if using it heavy like you are. Okay, all right. So I'm going to do that, and I'll use the motorcraft oil. And one other quick question. Mm-hmm. The, I read an article the other day about this ultra-low sulfur diesel being dry, and they recommend putting an additive in that's every time. Yes, sir. Well, I don't know that you have to use it every time, but a company called Standine makes a very good additive. Standine is the company that builds the pumps for most of the big three, and they make an additive. I'm not real big on additives usually, but I do like that one. And normally, I, from what they tell me, you put about two ounces in about 30 gallons of fuel. You don't have to do it every single time. You can do it every second tank, every third tank, whatever you want it, but it does lubricate those injectors and all in the pump a little better. Okay, I heard, uh, heard about Hot Shot. Or something like that. Not for me with that brand. I'm I always use a standine just because they are the yeah. OEM supplier. And I know you when there's certain technical service bulletins that come out and when they supply the product to you from Ford or from GM, it always comes with a standine. So that's okay, and I can get that at the dealership. Well, we've got it on the shelf or you can order it online. I mean, it's it's available. Any diesel shop would have it. Okay, good. I may run by and, and grab a bottle because yeah. I want to start this thing off right. Drive yeah, it's by. not real expensive. We keep it on the shelf just for our diesel people. All right, great advice. Appreciate the All help. Right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we got CJ's been patiently holding. Good morning, CJ. Good morning. How are you? Doing great, sir. Doing great. I have a 2001 Dodge Durango. Okay. It has disc brakes in the front mm-hmm. and hubs in the back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Even when the car was new, uh, let me ask you, what is your take on the self-adjusting brakes in the back for the hubs? Well, the self-adjusting brakes, you got to remember, that was the old duo servo brakes were self-adjusting. And when they would adjust is when you would back up or anything like that because the bottom of the shoe was not anchored. It would swing back and forth, and it would allow them to, to adjust in that manner. On these brakes, this is a different setup, even though you might think they look the same. They look similar, but they don't look the same. These are leading trailing brakes. They are anchored at the bottom, and they go straight in and out, which means they will not self-adjust when you back up. Now, all that being said, these brakes self-adjust when you use the parking brake appropriately. That means when you pull up in the vehicle, you stop the car you, or the truck, you put it in park, you take your foot off the service brake, and then you apply the parking brake. That's when they adjust. Oh. And because we're in Louisiana and it's flat, most people don't use their parking brake, so the rears never adjust, and you end up wearing the heck out the front pads or warping the front rotors because the rears aren't doing any stopping. This is exactly what I problem is. Even when it was new, mm-hmm. the hub brakes in the back were, were not keeping up with the well, yeah, brakes yeah. in the front. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, what you would probably have to do at this point, CJ, is go in, clean, lube, and adjust those rear brakes to get them working properly. And then from then on, when you park the car, if you use your parking brake, they'll maintain themselves. You know, an engineer tends to think that whatever they put on a car, everybody uses which is not always the case. Like I said, here, very few people use their parking brake just because it's flat, and they just pull up, put it in park, and walk off. If you live in San Francisco, you probably have to use your parking brake. Well, but, unless you're on the side of the levee over here. That's, that's right. About, <laughs> that's about but it. But, yeah, once you get them working again, if you start using that parking brake on a regular basis, you'll probably clean that problem up. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I didn't know that. All right, CJ. Look, you have a good day. Thank, thank you. Sir. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And we got Marie online. Good morning, Marie. Good morning. How are you? Doing, Doing great, great. I have a 2015 Silverado. It's uh, I think it's a 5.3 liter. Yes, ma'am. And it's 31,000 miles on it. I bought it brand new last year. Mm-hmm. 
And about a couple of weeks ago, it started having this squeaking noise when it transferred from the V8, or actually from the, the V4 to the V8 when I was cruising and I pressed on the accelerator and it starts squeaking. Is that normal or No, not? no, that's not normal, but I really doubt it's going to be in the active fuel management. It's probably something else, I would think, because the way active fuel management works, it's just some solenoids inside the engine that open and dump the oil pressure from those lifters. So there's really not a whole lot there to make a squeak. I'm not saying it couldn't because, I mean, if you had like a defective camshaft or a worn-out rocker arm, which they have had some of that, you could possibly get a squeak. But, no, to answer your question, it is not normal. It's, it's a problem. Are you still? You, right. you should still be under warranty on that. Right. That's why I was kind of like, hmm, maybe I ought to get it in there now while it's yeah. still under warranty. They've, definitely had, they've had trouble with the camshafts wearing out in those engines and also with the rocker arms and push rods wearing out in those engines. Right. And oh, good the the rocker arm and push rod is not too big a deal. You pull the valve covers right there, but if the camshaft wears out, it's major. The heads and everything have to come off the engine. And if you take it in right now and have them look at it under warranty, if something happens as it runs out, you have some leverage to say, "Hey, this was doing it." Yeah, while I, was still I can blame while I was still under warranty. Because let's say that you go, you bring it in, they say, "Well, nothing's wrong." And let's say at one hundred and one thousand miles, the camshaft goes south, and you're looking at a four thousand dollar repair bill. Well, you could always go back and say, wait a minute, I was complaining about this when it was underwater. You just couldn't find the problem. Right. So it doesn't automatically extend your warranty, but it does give you a lot more leverage. And, and chances are, if it'll do it, they'll be able to find it and, and correct it. For yeah, you. it does it very regularly. Initially, it didn't do it very often. Mm-hmm. It took me a little while to watch the gauges and watch the dash. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see if it, I could find some type of pattern to right. it. Right. Well, and it could be that one of the active fuel management lifters or whatever is bad, and so when it goes to that mode, it does start squeaking. That is possible. And you can kind of hedge your bet when you bring it in. Ask to have the technician ride with you That's so correct. you can show him this is the noise it's making when this happens. Yeah, if you just bring it into the service rider and you say, I got a noise, yeah. when the, he's going to half write it down. The tech's going to get you to half read it. And you got to remember, I know it's not right, I know it doesn't make sense, but the guys doing warranty work in a dealership only get paid half the going rate to do warranty work. So they're really not that active in really pursuing it. What you want to do is say, look, I'd like for the tech to ride with me. I'll sit here and wait till he's available. Then take him out, show him exactly when it does it, show him the exact noise, and you got a much, much better chance of doing it. And, and just to hedge your bet, bring a dozen donuts with you. There you yeah. go. <laughs> oh, I, can, I, I can do that, too. There you go. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Alright, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we always love having you and live, listen to your questions. That, but before we had all our callers. nice callers, we were talking about brakes. That's right. And the thing about brakes is you have to have them on the vehicle. I mean, there's, there's no getting around them. They need to be working properly for the vehicle to That's stop right. safely. Well, stopping is more important than going, I believe. And, you know, every brake inspection, we get back to that, starts with you drive the car, you note any symptoms that you might have, be it noise, shake, vibration, pulsation of pedal, low pedal, sinking pedal, you any also, of those sorts of You things. also verify the complaint that it came in with. That's Is right. it doing it now? So when you get done with your diagnostics, you can verify that, hey, we did fix this yeah, problem. That has been resolved. Now, another thing that going beyond the initial test drive is that you, let's say you've got a squeaking noise in the front. Uh-huh. Don't ever just pull the front wheels and look in there and say, well, I don't see anything. No. Brakes are a system. They work together. All four wheels work together. Right. Very, very often what we see as a front problem is really being caused by the rear. The rear's not working, so the front's wearing out. The front is the symptom. The the rear's rear's not working, so the front are warping rotors. 
all four wheels every single time, no exceptions. That's how you do a proper brake inspection. Correct. Now, we're going to go to our phone line, and we'll be right back with more on brakes. All right. We've got Ron online. Good morning, Ron. Hey, good morning, Lewis. Long time listener, man. Uh, I heard you said something about when you're filling a gas tank up, you don't, when you when it clicks off, when that pump clicks off, you don't want to do put not. too much more? Yeah, you don't want to top it off at all. What you want to do, see, the way it works is what they call an evaporative emission system on it. And the way evaporative emissions works is there's some solenoids that open and close, and it sucks the fumes out of the engine under certain conditions and so on as that. When you're topping off, you're forcing gas into that evaporative emission system, or you can. Now, it's designed to work with gas fumes. If liquid gasoline gets into it, it's going to take out the charcoal canister, which, depending on what kind of car it is, it could be anywhere from $100 to $900 for that charcoal canister. And that's what can cause those to go bad, that topping off, because you keep putting more and more gas in it. It's starting to come up the nozzle, and it's going through these little passages, and it gets into that EVAP system. So the first time it clicks off, that's full. Leave it alone. I know you can put more in there, but just leave it right there. Good enough. Yeah, because sometimes I notice when I when I do that, I can still squeeze about two more gallons in you there. Probably you probably know? can, <laughs> but you're also likely to end up with an EVAP problem. And some cars are worse than others. Chevy trucks are kind of bad oh, about man. that. Toyota yeah. pick up, excuse me, Toyota products are bad about that. If you keep topping off, you can be buying a charcoal canister. Yep. Some Ford trucks have that same problem. Yeah, I got you. Well, I sure appreciate it. All Lewis. right, man. Thanks. All right. Thank you, man. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I think we squeeze another one in for our break. We got Fernando online. Good morning, Fernando. Hello. Good morning, Lewis and Brian. Glad to hear you guys again. It's, it's been a while since, I, since I've called. I'm uh, here from California, and I'm glad to hear that each time there's more and more people calling from different countries or from different yeah. parts of the U.S. It really is. We've been very, very lucky. Yes, sir. Well, I have two questions this morning. Um, first question is on uh, my wife, her 2004 Camry 2. Point, it, it tends to like overheat sometimes when we're going in the summertime. Um, if when you're going on the streets at uh, 25 miles per hour and it's during summertime, it's hot, you turn on the AC. Mm-hmm. If the car isn't circulating, like uh, if it's just like going like at, at those speeds, mm-hmm. it tends to overheat as well as once we were going up like uh, towards like the mountain. Mm-hmm. And even though it was like uh, very cold outside, like in the 40s, uh, lower 40s, mm-hmm. The car was still overheating when we were, when we were going okay. uphill. Okay. One mm-hmm. thing I noticed is that when you turn on the car, the fans go on in the front. Mm-hmm. Only the fan, like on the passenger side, is going on, not the other one. And the other thing is I have a thermostat, which I bought like a while ago. Mm-hmm. Given those symptoms, what well, do I start with? Fernando, what, I know what you got, when a vehicle overheats, first thing you want to look at is when does it overheat. In other words, if it overheats when it's sitting still and cools down when you go down the road, that's generally an airflow issue. What you've got is a capacity issue. In other words, it's not overheating when you're sitting still, although it may also overheat there, but yours is overheating going down the road. So it's not likely going to be an airflow issue. It's more of a capacity issue. Either the system does not have the capacity to remove the heat or the engine's producing more heat than can be removed. So to ask, just to kind of get ahead of myself, with the two fans, make sure you got the AC on when you're checking it because generally one comes and goes with the air conditioner, and the other one comes and goes with the engine temperature. So you got to test it under different conditions to make sure they're both working. But they should both work when you got the AC on and the engine's hot. Now, to get back to what I'm saying, a capacity issue is going to be that's not removing as much heat as what's being produced or is producing too much heat. That could be a partially closed thermostat, or it's not completely opening. That could be a partially plugged radiator. We've seen that. And the further you drive, it seems like the hotter and hotter it gets. Worst case scenario, that could be something like a leaking head gasket that's producing more heat than the engine can get rid of. 
So these are the kinds of things. I mean, if you already got the thermostat, it's not that hard to change. It mm-hmm. probably needs it anyway if it's a 2000 model. I would probably go ahead and start with the thermostat. If that does not okay. fix it, then you're going to have to get the radiator flow tested to see if it's flowing the proper amount. If it's not, just do yourself a favor and just replace the radiator. No one can really repair those properly because the plastic tank radiator with aluminum core, by the time it starts to plug up, it's done. And yeah, it's going to be long. The plastic's going to break. You're going to spend half the price okay. uh, trying to fix it, and you still ain't got anything. Yeah. And they're not that expensive anyway. Go ahead and replace the radiator. Now, if that's the problem. Now, if the radiator is flowing perfectly well, the thermostat's working perfectly well, odds are you're into where the engine's producing more heat than it should. You need to go in and have a carbon dioxide test done to see if possibly you're getting carbon dioxide into the coolant, which would cause it to produce more heat than it could get rid of. Okay. All righty. All right. Well, all right. Thank you very much. Uh, all right. Second question. Do you have time for that? I'll tell you what, if you can hold on through the break, I can. Okay, sure. Okay, we got to take a quick little break, but we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. I'm here with Stuart, life insurance rep and Agco Automotive customer. That's me. So, Stuart, as an Agco customer driving a car with 245,000 miles, you believe in preventative maintenance, right? I sure do. You know, having your car checked out annually can prevent major repairs, just like an annual insurance review. That reminds me of the old insurance story about the poor lady at her husband's funeral who asked her agent about death benefits. And he informs her that old Joe's first wife is still the beneficiary. Oh, an annual review would have helped, huh? That's why Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection to get an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs needed to help keep your car running. Oh, I'm definitely a believer. So, on another note, my wife wants to increase my life insurance policy by a couple million. Should I be worried? All I can say is some flowers and a gift card to the spa couldn't hurt. Mmm, good point, Stuart. For the rest of you out there, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, if you got a question or comment, you give us calls, 291-6901, and that's what Fernando did all the way from California. Go ahead, Fernando. What was the second question? Yes, sir. Um, second question is, uh, about two months ago, I went in to have the uh, fluid replaced on my Tundra 2005. Okay. And I saw on the wall on the in the like waiting room where they had a sheet where it says the, the liquids or the uh, the fluids that were compatible. Um, in other words, like if the Toyota uses a, the world standard, the WS. Correct. And this diagram had what they could substitute, what that company had, uh, which could be used as a substitute. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't like, like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm I'm wondering is, do you guys use like w, like the world yes. standard yes, or or because yes. we, what I saw is the price difference. I saw that per quart, it's like ten ten dollars for right. the WS, and right. the other one is like five or six dollars. Yeah. We stock every fluid from every manufacturer, and that's all we use OEM fluids. Yeah. Toyota's got what four? I can think of right offhand. Yeah. Well, you got to remember, right? WS is ten dollars a quart, but you can only use five quarts. So you're talking twenty five dollars. You're talking about a four thousand dollar transmission. Right. I mean, is it is really it worth, worth it? it? You know, <laughs> not in my book. <laughs> yeah, it's not to me. No, I put the original equipment fluid back in there. And generally, Fernando, as you probably have come to learn, when something is half price, there's generally a reason for it. And really, it has nothing so much to do with the price because the shop doesn't care what the price is. They're just going to charge the customer for it anyway. What it normally signifies to me is that this is a shop that's not in it for the long haul. They don't want to inventory all the proper fluids. They don't want to have to keep up with it. So they got something that they say is just as good. And it's just easier for them. They make more money on it because they're buying a cheaper fluid 
putting it in. I just don't like that entire philosophy. It tells me that the guy is not as concerned with the customer's well-being as he is with his own profitability. And again, I'm painting him with a broad brush. I don't know who you're talking about. don't care. But that's what that would signify to me. I want the right fluid that the manufacturer, that the engineer designed for that car back in it. I know it's right. Now, somebody says, okay, here's a little chart. This one, this one will work for this. This will work for that. But I don't know where that chart came from. Yeah. Who, who printed who, it who up? Who did it? And what's, what's their qualifications? Right. Yeah, it's from one of the companies, uh, one of the companies that provides those, those fluids. But another well, thing sure, I didn't like sure. is that um, I did uh, where they dropped the panda. I didn't do a flush. I did a round where right. they, what mm-hmm. should be done. But yes. then uh, he told me that if I told him that I really cared about my cars, so then he told me that he would recommend like every 10,000 miles go in for a flush. And then I was like, oh, no, thank you. I've been listening no. to the... The automotive uh, show for too long, and it, so I'm not going back to that place. I was going to say, I wouldn't go back. Yeah. Say, yeah, it's time to look for a new shop. Yeah, normally 50,000 yeah. miles is more than adequate, particularly if you're using the WS, the world standard. I mean, if you can go every 10,000 miles, you can eat up a whole lot more than that $5 you can save per quart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. All right. Well, that was my question for today. Uh, that, that was my comment. Uh, well, great, Fernando. Yeah, hey, you thanks. guys for the show. I enjoy it very much, and I learn a lot. If I ha- would have to pay for everything I've learned, I, I won't have enough to, to pay you guys for <laughs> everything that I, that I learned on, on this show. And I thank you guys for referring your time. Well, well great. Thank thanks you. for listening, man. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. We still got a few minutes. We can sneak another call in there. And you know that call just verifies that things happen all over the United States. Don't just happen here. That's right. You would think. Well, we see that every day in Baton Rouge. I'm driving in this morning and I see a little quick change place. Transmission flush. Right. Ninety nine dollars. That is absolutely useless. It is. I mean, it's worse than useless because it just creates problems. They're probably flushing the wrong fluid through the transmission. Well, they only got one machine. Yeah, and it's not getting as much out for the most part as you get dropping the pan exactly and they'll tell us change 100% of fluid absolutely not that just no tells way. me you don't know anything about a transmission you do not understand <laughs> how a transmission works and that's why you're trying to sell a flush yeah that's right well you wouldn't be selling that kind of stuff if he, you knew what was going on the sad thing is these guys are real happy they can live with themselves because they're ignorant they don't even realize they're doing stuff wrong they don't realize they're screwing people's cars up they don't realize they're ripping exactly. people off if I they really understood they, they couldn't do it i can't do that no decent human being could all right well, I guess ignorance is bliss, you know. Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But the, the point is, to the customer who is not expected to know anything, when he brings it to someone with a shingle out front that says auto repair, he expects they're going to do the right thing. Right. And that is not necessarily the case. You know, the automotive business is totally unregulated. It's not like somebody goes out and polices the industry, nope. checks that anybody knows what they're doing. Most states do not even have a license of any kind. I mean, you may have to have an occupational business license like every business, but right, they don't right. have a license that says you are competent. Right. Just the fact that you've got a shingle. You know, you may get so fired from your job, take your savings, go get a shingle, hang it out, and start working on cars tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And as long as you meet the requirements that oh, the, the business, city, occupation yeah, the city uh, requires, that's all you have to do. And you're probably going to go out of business for too long because the comebacks and the mad customers are going to put you out. But in that interim, you're going to screw up a lot of people's cars. Sure. And, and as, as complicated as cars are today, man, it, it takes a, a well-versed tech well, to understand does. them and fix them correctly. And a shop owner who can provide the environment for them to do what they want, because you can take the best tech in the world, put, put him, him in a restrictive environment, right. don't give him what he needs to work with, 
All right, he's not going to be there long. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like if you take the best artist in the world, but if all you give him is a, a brush, three-inch wide brush, yeah, yeah, and two bottles of paint, he's right. not going to be able to get a masterpiece out of that. Exactly. He needs more things than that, and it's the same thing with fixing cars or, or probably any other endeavor. Most likely, yeah. It's kind of like that old saying, you know, if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. <laughs> <laughs> I see we're just about out of time. We're going to start winding on up, getting ready to get on out of here, tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning all I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week and go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service and find the reading rating part and please fill it out for us that's right give us a written review that helps to move us up so that way when someone goes to looking for a show on auto repair types in the word auto repair our name will come up close to the top of the list and that way more people can listen to us and we can keep doing the show that's right because they'll boot us out if we don't <laughs> <laughs> they watch our ratings every single week and if i'm they don't sure they do stay up there like hey we'll get somebody here who can do it that's right you know radio is one of those things where you pull your own waiter that's it move somebody, on down the line <laughs> somebody else will <laughs> a preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry have a great weekend